This is Peter. And this is Tom. And you're listening to History Teachers Talking Podcast. Now part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. All right, this is Peter Zablocki and Thomas Reska, and welcome back to our podcast. A little weird one today. I guess it's well, yeah, we're, we're just going to be looking a little bit into the Victorian era, right? But really going to also, not a deep dive because it's like a 63-year period, but we're also going to look in some of the bizarre facts or weird things or just downright messed up things that happened during the Victorian era that you probably didn't learn in school when when covering it. Yes. The premise was we were thinking of doing something that's Halloween-y. And I feel like because we've been doing this podcast for, for like a few years now, yeah. it's almost like we've done so many Halloween we, we episodes. Yeah. We didn't feel like doing like cryptids again or something like that. Or we're exactly. a lot of stuff out there. So we did zombies. We did um, Dracula. To our listeners, that. yes, we mispronounce uh, Brian Stoker. So we want to apologize for that. But anyway. So we're going to be talking about Victoria era. And, you know, it was a time of vast political reform. You had social change. You had the Industrial Revolution going on, right? This um, 63-year period, what, 1837, 1901, um, really with Queen Victoria of Great Britain. And what it really saw, too, I guess one of the things that leads it to be so bizarre, a lot of messed up things is happening, is you saw a real, like, decline when it came to rural life. And the slums really rapidly grew. And you had a lot of these like factory laborers and a lot of hours you had during this time, Jack the Ripper was going around. So I guess we kind of, you know, tying that with Halloween, right? You had yeah. the Crimean War, which is very bloody. So all this stuff going on at the same time. So it was a 63 year period where you saw a lot of changes because of the Industrial Revolution, but also a lot of the negative aspects of a country becoming industrialized. Absolutely. And as you mentioned, the reason why it's known as Victorian era, if it's really not known for any other reason than the fact that it was named after Queen Victoria's Queen Victoria. reign. That's it. Yeah, that's, that's, that's it. That's the whole thing. Yep. And that, therefore, it has a specific starting time and its date and a specific ending date. So that's why we know 18. Basically, it, it stems from 1837, as you said, to 1901. Now, the fact that there's a lot of bad stuff happening, there's also a lot of decent stuff. I mean, Industrial Revolution is really probably the, the main culprit behind a lot of the bad issues here, because the Industrial Revolution led to massive technological and economic advancements, but it also brought this mechanization of industry and urbanization. It grew the middle class and ushered in thousands of people from the farmlands to cities. And cities were not planned or prepared to bring in such masses of people. And they all came to the cities primarily to look for work. But all of a sudden, it's like, there's just too many. Too many people. And they didn't have the infrastructure that a lot of cities have today, like with sewers and running water, electricity, that sort of stuff wasn't there. It was really just a lot of people living in one area. Yep. And that's what's going to lead to a lot of problems. A lot of issues. And also, we should mention the fact that you have this like creation of birth, rather, of a middle class. Uh, prior to this, you know, if you were in England, you were an aristocrat, you owned land, you, you had family and name that would be passed on from generation to generation. And the aristocrats and land-owning gentry was pretty much who controlled most of politics as well as the wealth in Britain. However, what's happening now, because of the Industrial Revolution, a lot of new jobs are ultimately created. So now you have new wealth. What that means is people that start businesses and textiles and factories, those guys have, are on par with the old aristocracy. Yeah. They're, they're really they're making money, but they're not noble blood. So that noble exactly. blood thing still a big thing, I would assume, like at the time. There are, it's just like it is now. It's still like, oh, you're part of the aristocrats. That's a big deal. Yeah. But it's, it's, it doesn't hold them out of water and stuff like that that it did previously. Because now these people are like, well, I just have the money. I can like 
buy my way into those things. Exactly. And they tried. But then also the middle class is the people that worked in these factories because, and I don't mean the working class because that's also a big key. Most of the things we're going to talk about today deal with the working class. But the middle class are the people rather that are managers at factories. They're lawyers. Uh, for they, have some, companies. they have some education, obviously. Exactly. And they have skills, skill in the education. And then you have, you know, the masses, the millions of people that came to the cities to actually work. And the Victorian era is really known for this social inequality, right? Stark big social time, divisions. The wealthy elite pretty much enjoys immense privilege, while the most of the population lives in poverty. Child labor is rampant. Children are forced to work in dangerous, grueling conditions in factories and mines. Well, there's no laws poor, yet. Zero. zero, exactly. Um, poor working conditions, laborers in factories, mines, um, long hours, you know, low wages, uh, accidents and injuries are super common. But there's also, you'll notice today, we'll touch upon this, gender inequality. The Victorian society held very rigid gender roles. Uh, women pretty much had zero opportunities, not just denied the right to vote, but there was this like cold of domesticity, right? That we talk about often in American history too. Confined women to home, like stay home. And that there was, was job, yeah. exactly, there was like legal, not just social, but legal restrictions on women to have to stay home. And then you have child mortality because of the fact that this grim reality of poor sanitations, there's so many sicknesses. That's one reason why they had like, even Queen Victoria had nine children because of diseases. Um, getting to eight years old was like a big deal. And plus if, if they're working in the, factories at five, six. When I was doing research for this, this idea of a lot of children that were like seven years old and like, you know, because I mean, that's like the age of your kids. Mm -hmm. They were hired to work in mines because they were so little they could fit they through the small, holes. Yeah. And they would tie like these little wagons to seven-year-olds and put them into a hole that was literally like the size of them to crawl through, to bring coal yeah. in. I well, just can't even imagine. It's, it's sometime after this where you start getting more of the children's need of childhood. That's going to happen because of the middle class. But this working class that children don't have aren't seen as having a child. Once you're of an age where you kind of like are seven work, you're going to start doing work. You're going to start doing work. It was the same thing like when they were on the farms. You're going to start doing work as soon as you can walk and you can start doing things. You're going to you know contribute to the household in some way. So the, the idea of like childhood and toys and everything like that, that only comes about later on when you have a middle class and their children don't have to work. So that's something exactly. that's going to come slowly from Vic this Victorian era. And the last thing that I kind of want to bring up uh, before we move into the specific weird things from the Victorian era is there was really a big stigma against mental health. And that will come up a decent amount of times today when we do these weird things. Mental health was very poorly understood and often marginalized and treated with cruelty. If you had any form of mental health, but even like dementia or... Alzheimer's, which they didn't know at the time what it was yet, or you had depression, anxiety, that, those were treated very cruelly. And, and oh, we'll yeah. get into yeah. that today, but tr very harsh treatments, even like surgical interventions, which, you know, you guys kind of yeah. might have an idea what that's about. Lobotomies, things of that nature, we'll get to. Yeah, there was no medication for this. There was no, nope. let's, let's talk through a therapist and work through it. It's just, um, yeah, there's something wrong with you. So we're going to lock you up. We're going to cut parts out of you or shock you and things like that. Nuts. All right, so let's uh, let us get into some of these peculiarities, I guess, of the Victorian era. And this was really inspired by an article from Grunge.com that was written by D.B. Kelly. Um, I kind of came across it, and then you came across it. We read it, and we're like, "Oh, this is crazy!" So let's do more research about this stuff. So, just want to give some credit to where credits due. So oh, the first one oh. that really pops up for me, I mean, at least, was the death photography. If you ever see these pictures, they're kind of morbid, morbid. obviously. <laughs> yeah. You always see them around this time. Yeah, I know whenever watching like history channels, like when they talk about like spooky things from the past or whatever, or like those like mysteries of the museum and stuff like that, they usually show stuff of this nature. 
Um, so remember, there was a lot of diseases back then, like measles, scarlet fever, right? They, they would get sick. They called it the gauntlet of death that children and adults had to go through, but it was much more dangerous for um, children. Parents still love their kids. A lot of times they would take um, lockets of their hair, but because you have new technologies, because Industrial Revolution, you have things like photography. So they would take death photography where they would basically take the child who passed away and prop them up, make them look like they're sleeping. Sometimes they would actually open the eyes and take a picture with their siblings who are alive or with their parents. Because I feel like yeah. I could always pick it out. Like I've actually Googled a bunch of these. Oh, you can pick all them morbid. pretty easy. Yeah, you, you can tell. Because You're like, the, yeah, that kid's dead. Yeah, that kid's A lot of times dead. it's actually, if the parents died, they were taking, the, the kids had to sit there on the parents' lap and take a picture. On a corpse. With their, with, with their dead parents. And that's just, it was very commonplace. It was just inspected something that you did. This way you always have this memory of this person who was lost to you. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, versus a locket of hair. Now you get to see them and remember them you as they were them, or yeah. as they kind of were. Yeah, but you're remembering so what a what a corpse, what a dead yeah, body. Yeah, so weird. Some of this, like I was kind of looking into this, like and I'm like, what would bring this about in the Victorian era? And a couple of influences. One was the influence of Romanticism, which was like a Romantic movement in the late 18th and 19th century, yeah. uh, which basically said, like, forget reason, forget logic of like the Enlightenment, and let's just go back to emotion. If strictly and very much so influenced the Victorian culture at the time in the 19th century, and it said it was this like fascination all of a sudden with the deathly, the gothic, the mysterious. You know, this is also where you have the Sherlock Holmes, and in the United States you have Graham Poe all that stuff. And like the fascination extended to the portrayal of death in art, literature, photography. Yeah. Because so there was so like much, kind of obsessed with it. Yeah. Well, why do you think they were so, they were so obsessed with death? Because there was so much death around them. True. Like they were seeing it so much more, particularly being in the cities where you would see this death from the disease and everything that it's just around them. So they become more obsessed with it. The so staging and composition of this, just look it up guys. It's like, there was props and poses and the idea was to make it look like it was a lifelike appearance like this yeah they, 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 they didn't really do that yeah no no you could definitely tell definitely they didn't really have the special effects back in the 1800s as they do later on they couldn't really do <laughs> yeah. those sorts of things and also the reason why this declined as we like go into 1900s is basic reason is because of medical science and public health improved that's what it was and it reduced child mortality rates so all of a sudden like with the child mortality rates dropping it also helped make death photography go away but they're still out there i mean they're weird no question about it well, the pictures are there. Yeah, they're one of those, like, something that survives from that time. And I guess it's similar to a lot of, like, religions where they'll have, like, a, you know, like Catholic Catholicism, where they have the open caskets and stuff like that, like the weights and everything. But this is a little bit more now because they're trying to pose them as if they're still alive. Well, since we're dealing with things that are dead, uh, let's <laughs> move. Another one that I thought that was pretty interesting was, and why it came about, was that you could make a living back then basically as a grave robber. Yes. Right? So that was something that would happen a lot during that time because medical students, just like today, they needed to learn. One way to do that is having cadavers. Like at my school right now, we don't use cadavers. We have like these like digital boards that like digital screens. What's the fun with that? Well, you can dissect. It's all like it's all VR basically. So it's, it's pretty intense, pretty fancy. But um, back during this time, during the Victorian era, Britain passed a whole bunch of laws that made fewer crimes and they ended the death penalty. So a lot of the doctors in training like we said, they still needed to learn and that meant they needed to get cadavers somewhere. So how did they do this is that they started just digging up dead bodies and that's what they would do. And then uh, like a business actually almost came about because of this because they would go and dig up dead bodies and then sell them to doctors or medical students so that they could dissect them and learn all these different things from the body. And the fresher the body, 
the more demand it was. So it wasn't just it wasn't just bought. It was the whole body that was a big deal. But if you could get just teeth, right? That was a big deal. Just um, you could sell those to dentists and stuff like that. I know you could actually huh. make a lot of money by just digging up graves. So people would actually just wait to see when a funeral was over and just go over and start digging up the body. They said that like some of these doctors literally had these grave diggers on retainers. Like I'm going to pay you so you don't go and dig graves for anybody else. You're my grave digger. Like be ready. Here's a little, you know, pound for per whatever and hold on to it because when I need you, I need you and go find me some bodies. Yeah, they said the fresher the body, the more expensive, the more money they could get. So obviously this is going to put the idea in some people's heads to actually just murder the people and then just sell the bodies because, you know, they're like, hey, well, there's no digging required. It's going to be a lot easier. And two of these people, which are um, serial killers from the time, are William Burke and William Hare. They actually were body snatchers who then resorted to murder to get the freshest bodies to sell to the medical students. Well, yeah, they killed them. So this one's, the, I mean, I'm sure this led to death, but it's not as gruesome as the other ones. England had a humongous parentless children problem. Oftentimes in the streets, you had so many kids that were just poor. Parents had died or one parent had died. The other one is working in a factory. Remember this whole industrial revolution thing. Victorian England had like a plight of orphan children, basically. Like it was a problem. Kind of think of like if stray cats, right? No, no. Like England had stray children and it was such a problem. Especially the slums. Absolutely. They said that just about 30,000 orphan children lived in London streets in 1869 alone. It was like a child problem. So to fix this child problem, this is a kind of messed up thing. They're like, well, what do we do? This is kind of becoming overwhelming. So they're like, well, you know what? Um, instead of like finding parents for them, they're like, why don't we just like ship them off to some of our other colonies? Like we have a lot of colonies. We're, we're Britain. So that's what they did. It's almost like... They would started clearing up the streets. Think of like animal control. They started clearing up the streets in 18 like 60s and 70s. And they would collect thousands of these orphan children and start shipping them overseas. And then what would happen is they would go into these like laboring farms. Either that or if you were lucky, you became like a domestic servant. A lot of them were sent to Canada. A lot of them were sent to Australia, some to India, New Zealand. It was just like, go, go, go. They said that between 1870 and 1914, 80,000 kids were sent just to Canada. But no one ever followed up with them. Like well, just kind the of got sent there, yeah. And that was exactly. It. The they ship just, got there and it was like, all right, cool. They just, they just kind of disappeared. There were no records of what happened to these kids. It's just, it's sad, really, when you think about it, because these kids lost their parents at a young age. Now they're being exploited even further. I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of the new Medal of Honor podcast from Evergreen Podcasts, brought to you in partnership with the National Medal of Honor Museum. In each three-minute episode, we'll learn about a different service member who distinguished him or herself through an act of valor. We'll include stories from the Civil War to Iraq and Afghanistan, and from all branches of the military. We'll talk about service members who were overlooked for the medal at first due to their race or religion, and about those who were celebrated at the time. We'll hear stories of soldiers like Audie Murphy, future Hollywood star who mounted a burning tank to hold off German infantry in World War II, and people like Dr. Mary Edwards Walker, a Civil War Army doctor, and the only woman to receive the Medal of Honor so far. Learn about these heroes and more wherever you get your podcasts. 
Victorian era in England had a terrible treatment for individuals with any mental illness, right? Uh, marked by ranger practices, including establishment of insane asylums. And insane asylums were terrible trying to rehabilitate somebody. That was really not the point here. Characterized by some progress, these asylums, but mostly serious shortcomings. England's insane asylum population skyrockets in the 1800s. And there's basically three labels, right? You're a manic melancholic. Or, or you had dementia, right? That was or you had one. dementia. Yeah, so it's like this big three, more or less. You, you could be basically committed for any one of those reasons on top of other things too. These are people that are more or less getting just beaten down by the amount of work they're doing in the working class. Uh, old age, work, malnutrition, terrible sanitation and food that they eat, and also they're really not clean conditions. There's a lot of things that essentially lead people to start to become depressed. I mean, that's ultimately what it is. They become depressed. They become manic in a sense. They're like, they, they can't almost like place themselves in how bad their situation life is stressed out so england's version is like well we don't want these people running around and getting other people to be manic and other people to be depressed and any of those things because that might hurt our labor force so they created asylums the county asylum act of 1808 allowed for the construction of county funded asylums to accommodate anybody with mental illness so if you're showing like a nervous breakdown in a job or anywhere else, they're like, okay, move this person out, put him in an asylum because we don't want that to spread. Like everything's peachy and happy and it's great. Just keep on inhaling this terrible stuff in this factory and you're going to be okay. There was this shift towards moral treatment, like this approach that emphasized humane and compassionate care. Uh, so like routine, productive activities, some, you know. Yeah, some- there were people that generally wanted to help these individuals, but there just weren't enough of them. And it wasn't, the money wasn't there, wasn't put in. Exactly. Overcrowding, underfunding, basically ruined it. Because, so the idea was there, as you said, right? They wanted to help, but they overcrowded these asylums so much. And there was no money really given to it that it basically turned into controversy and challenges. I mean, they would like defecate on themselves. People would leave them alone. So if your, your idea was rehabilitate them, it had the complete opposite. Um, oh, it made most of the people worse, yeah. So All right, what else you got? Sad. I mean, there's so many. Well, one that I saw that was um, pretty interesting that would be kind of the reverse for you um, was that <laughs> um, men could actually sell their unwanted wives. Wait, what do you mean reverse for me? Where are you going with this? What are you trying to say? Huh? Well, that your wife would probably sell you. Well, that is very true, actually. As a <laughs> that's, that's what the yes. reverse would be. Yeah, okay, okay. But maybe you won't get a lot of but maybe you can make some money. So that's basically because divorces were actually illegal in England up until 1857, even though this practice actually lasted in rural Britain for quite some time even after that. And what it basically was, was that if they were in an unhappy marriage, you could sell your wife. And what it was basically like is they brought the wife, usually these are in like public squares, and they would have to lead the unwanted wife in with a lead rope and just let people bid on her. So it was like eBay, basically, and people would bid on her. There's all these different prints of sale. So we know this actually did happen. Some of yep. them would sell for a decent amount of cash, while there was one um, that was actually sold in 1862 for a pint of beer. So it really just depended on you know what the, the wife could get. But a lot of times, from what some of these people talk about doing some of the research, is they're like, it was actually a lot of times a good situation for the wife, for the woman. It was a way for them to get out of a bad situation. A lot of times if the husband was like a, abusive or something like that. And they actually could trade up because the wife did have veto power. So she didn't want to go off with this guy. She didn't have to. And a lot of times, though, they could go for like an older, richer man and move up in marriage a lot faster. So it wasn't actually always a bad thing for them. Uh, usually it was, and they said a lot of times it was probably agreed upon, like, because we can't get a divorce. So I'm just going to go sell you. 
I'll see what money we'll split them. I'll give you half the money and then whatever you go do what you want to do. And there's some and women that just did that several times. They said that the reason, the main reason for it is that the process of divorce was so arduous and expensive and basically socially taboo. And oh, yeah. well, it, it was illegal. You couldn't even do it until 1857. So, yeah, the Matrimonial Causes Act of 1857 basically said, all right, maybe we're getting a little out of hand here with what's going on with people trying to sell their wives and whatnot. So they basically made it more accessible. They basically allowed for divorce proceedings to be conducted in civil courts. Putting it in civil courts as opposed to parliament, you didn't have to wait so long to be, you know, your court case yeah, to be could, heard. You could not pay yeah. as much money. Yeah. And by simplifying the process, it ends the so-called woman-wife selling but like talk about women and the gender roles of this time in the Victorian area are something that is written about extensively. They, like you say, they didn't have many rights, which is weird when you think about it, because the country was totally devoted to Queen Victoria. I know. No one, it's named no after one, a woman. No one questioned her reign as a woman, and she does a lot of things as a woman, but yet women have no rights. The hypocrisy yeah. is there. Yeah, it's crazy. The one thing that like kept on popping up when I was looking at this is the fact that a lot of hysterectomies were performed as a treatment for mental illness for women during the Victorian era. And again, flawed, ethically problematic by today's standards. But the idea was that women and mental health, when you really study this you know, Victorian era, hysteria was a broad, often vague and controversial diagnosis, right? So if a woman you know, was acting up or whether it was anxiety, depression, any form of emotional standing where that didn't really fit into the mold of happy wife, uh, physical complaints... Uh, many that would, today would be understood as just common symptoms of mental health conditions, like my stomach hurts, I've, you know, butterflies, I feel queasy. All yeah. these things were considered very much a female disorder in quotations um, and labeled as hysteria. And because of that, hysterectomy became a treatment in these cases where basically you would, they would surgically remove the uterus. And that was like recommended as a treatment for hysteria. And the belief was that by removing the uterus, the supposed source of emotional distress in women, because that's what women have that men don't. And of course, you know, back then they would say men don't have hysteria. The patient's mental health would supposedly improve. Uh, obviously, misguided ideas about a connection between female reproductive system and mental well-being. There's just really a tremendous lack of understanding and, and gender bias here. The concept of hysteria was deeply influenced by the gender bias and the lack of understanding of mental health, period. But also in the historical beliefs about women's emotional like fragility, how they're supposedly more emotional and not rational, so on and so forth. Again, over time, advances in medicine, psychology, psychiatry led to a lot more sophisticated understanding of mental health. But during the Victorian era, like if a woman had any woman basically didn't have any rights to feel upset, like you would be risking your husband sending you to a clinic to have an irreversible surgery. Procedure, yeah, because they just didn't want to deal with it. It was just you're being unruly, no. you're not listening to me, and that was it. Nuts. Another one that will uh, make your stomach turn was probably when it comes to food. Like obviously, oh, the additives before, yeah. Like their their sanitation wasn't the best back then, but they also was stuff they put on in food in purpose because they wanted to make things look appetizing or make things look brighter. Um, so they would put additives into a lot of these things. Keep in mind too, things were not clean back then either. I read a lot. I, a yeah, couple no. times I read how bakers sometimes would knead the dough with their feet too, just to get two at once. You know, they're doing it with their hands and they're also kneading the dough with their feet and they didn't have, there's no, FDA you gotta admit, you gotta admit like that. that's kind of impressive though. Uh, that's kind of impressive. I mean, gross. It's, it's also very gross, especially. Well, yeah, but impressive. In, they're walking in feces right outside the that door. Is true. And they're doing oh that. man, but, you're right. You're right. You're right. Yes. But like, basically <laughs> what they're doing is they're adding a lot of chalk 
I saw chalk was added to a lot of things. They added uh, make bread look whiter. They would add uh, pipe clay and stuff like that, sawdust to the mix. Anything to basically just make the yeah, it was just a, they cut back on the on like the actual flour they would use. They put sawdust in, so they would use all of this stuff. They said lead was basically everywhere, so it was put into mustard, wine, sugar, candies, um, preservative jams, wine. Uh, mercury was used in candles at this time. And so people are lighting mercury and just bringing mercury vapors, right? So they're going crazy like the Mad Hatter. We all know that's how they got that name. Um, but the biggest one that I thought was crazy was that during the 1880s, ice cream starts to become really popular. But they're saying a lot of the ice cream that people bought on the streets in this era, and it was probably didn't even have milk in it at all. It was just like a water mixed up with chalk. Just to oh. make it look like that, and they say this also is what was spreading all of the all of the diseases because that was everywhere anyway. Like the water was unclean, and the disease was everywhere. But now it's also getting mixed into your food. You're eating basically poison in some cases, or things that your body can't really digest, but you're eating it, and you're just getting sicker and sicker. I'm very particular about my milk. Like I could taste the different milk. You know what I mean? Like I'll drink on my one company milk I've been drinking oh, for no. like 10, 15 years. I don't. And- I don't really drink drink milk. I'm not a toddler. You don't but, drink uh, milk? No. What do you mean to drink? What if you have cookies, you don't drink milk? No, I don't have cookies. I'm not a toddler, Peter, so I don't I don't do that sort of stuff. <laughs> Dude, literally next to me right now, I'm just throwing that out there, is a cup of tea and cookies. And I'm like trying to sneak in a cookie as I'm talking. I have a steak burrito waiting for me upstairs to eat nice. after this. So nice, nice, nice. Yeah, no, I have cookies and I, I keep we're keeping talking about these gross things, and I'm kinda like we I have our, I'm looking we at have our cookies. Different priorities, Pete. Different, different priorities. priorities. All right, so let's talk about, since we're talking about food and additives and like health and whatnot, let's talk about two things here. Uh, corpse medicine, which kind of translates yes. over to mummies um, and yeah. mummy medicine. Was well, it was practice? two different things. There was two different things. It yeah. was, but it kind of translates into a little bit, right? One goes into the other, but one is also, yeah, I'm sorry to interrupt, but yeah. Well, one is, okay, so the first one starts with, you're looking at like the corpse itself, the corpse medicine. Corpse because stuff, which, is, which could be from fresh corpses. Exactly. That's the major distinction. Like, they would mix like ground up human skull with like chocolate. Yes. Was it was supposed, supposed to, to like, fix epilepsy. Yeah. Like, no. Like, I'm just going to say it, <laughs> that, it, that it didn't do that. There's probably no real medical. Dude, there's, literally, there's, there's literally a text from 1847 that prescribes a little bit of skull, crushed skull, preferably of a young woman, mixed with a little bit of like chocolate. And by doing that, it's supposed to help with epilepsy. You know, then there was like the thief's candle was really made from like human fat. And there are records that it was being made well into the 1880s. And like people would take that, but then it would like cause paralysis as opposed to helping you. There was a lot of, you know, corpse medicine that was going on at the time. Yeah, this kind of stems with what you were talking about before when it comes to the mummy medicine, because in the Victorian era, Europeans were obsessed with anything, particularly the British, were obsessed with anything Egyptian. Yes. So anything Egyptian was like, well, it was just exotic. It was crazy. And since the mummies were preserved and a lot of them still had like features, you know, if you ever seen a mummy, pieces of mummy was very popular. The idea that you could ground up a mummy and drink it or eat the part of the mummy, you know, obviously the mummy was is still in good shape all these years, but it's got to be a great like vitamin. More or less. That's what it was. Yeah, vitamin, medication, yeah. and like quasi-magical uh, purposes. Yeah. But again, so, it didn't it, – it, no, you're actually going to get sick because you're eating well, – yeah. you're ingesting things that have been fermented and chemicals were put in it for thousands of years. And now you're going to put it into your body. Like I don't think anyone in 2023 
of a right mind is going to go and be like, oh, that mummy, let me go bite off a piece so I can live longer. Yeah, and a lot of them was like they would like powder it and like crush it. So mummy medicine yeah. involved usually like powdered more, mummies. It was like sprinkled over stuff. Yeah, they're exactly. Not a, they're not taking a bite out of it. But it's yeah, still, yeah, you, yeah, can, no. you can get sick. I'm Instead sure, of right? salt, you're like, you know, you're like sprinkling something with little, powder of little, mummies. Here's a little King Tut on my toast. <laughs> crazy uh but they did believe that it would cure ailments uh that, that it was going to cure diseases that it was going to make you feel better um the skull medicine we talked about there's also corpse water that was the thing uh yeah, they would the soak corpses or body parts in Whoa. water and that would create corpse liquor and then people would drink that liquor because it supposedly have medical benefits you know homeopathy very similar to that aspect where a substance that causes certain symptoms could be used to treat those same symptoms somewhere else so they would like if someone was sick about, you know, I don't know, puking, they would like, all right, well, let's take a piece of a stomach from someone that died from this and like soak it in water and see where it goes. You know, maybe it'll cure your issue. You know, by even by, by Victorian era, really, the corpse medicine was kind of already on the decline, but it did hold through until 1900s. But then once we got closer to 1900s, the, basically you saw the rise of more evidence-based medicine and the development of modern pharmaceuticals right and this discredited the use of human remains in medical practice and definitely like if you think of frankenstein or you know bram stoker's uh dracula it reflects this fascination with like boundaries between life and death like ooh, you know it's very much it very much feeds into this obsession in the victorian area with human remains and just death so yeah yeah. obsessed with it uh, one that I saw that was um, kind of influenced things that we have today was the fact that during this time period, remember, you have all these people living in these places. You have a lot of these, a lot more money. So they're putting up a lot of these entertainment facilities like theaters and stuff, but there's no safety codes. So that's going to lead to a lot oh, yeah, of tragedies. So much death. Yeah, yeah. So what you're seeing a lot is there's a lot of like stampedes, fires, and people die because of this. There was the um, Brooklyn Theater fire broke out. It's called Brooklyn Theater, but it's in obviously... England in 1876, where a lantern fell over on a stage and it just burnt, and there were no fire exits. So people panic, they can't get anywhere, and actually were trapped in a staircase. And you had 103 people died. Um, but one of the worst ones that I saw was called the Victoria Hall disaster, it happened in 1883. And you had all these children, young kids, seven to 11 years old, crowd into Victoria Hall because they were seeing basically like a show. And at the end, they said, all right, who, who, if you have these number of tickets, you're going to win a special prize. So if all these kids, over 2,000 kids hear this, they all start and running the prizes were the like stage. Toys, books, small items, yeah, I mean, big, kids yeah, that are big, poor. It's like, wow, yeah, this, this is, is great. This is, a, this is a big deal, right? Plus, you know, yeah. kids want to win whatever. You know what I mean? So 100, 183 kids, children actually died because they wound up getting just trampled in the stairwells. A bunch of kids, there was a stampede, a bunch of kids got trapped in the stairwells and it took an hour and a half just to dislodge the crap because they were so like just like tightly packed. And this actually sparked the invention of the push bar emergency exit. Yeah. So, it, But even though it came out shortly after this, it wasn't put in place right away because they said it's just, it was too expensive to change all the doors to put this on. When you start looking at the specifics, 183 children were crushed, crushed. literally crushed to death. By other, kid, by other kids. By other kids. And 183, and a lot of others weren't really severe injuries, but injuries, 183 yeah. died. And the ages of these victims were only between 3 and 14 years old. Yeah, Nuts. So young. Yeah, young. And talk about kids. I'm sure you saw this one too. That went like the baby farms. That's sad. It's what you were talking about before. Right? You had these kids that were basically, they didn't have parents. Yes. But these were, these are often even younger babies, right? These are like. Infants. Well, yeah. So this they're, is, the, yeah, it's like, obviously there's they're, a stigma. They were being sold. Not sold. There were. 
given to for care (laughs) in a sense right so baby farmers the idea of baby farming was a practice where women would take an infant for a fee right so you would pay this woman to take a baby and the woman would promise to provide them with care and sustenance that's basically you know and try to find another home for them right exactly that's where the baby farmer came from because the mother either you know there's a social stigma of the fact that a young woman got pregnant can't take care of the baby or literally you cannot afford to take care of the baby so this baby's going to die in your house like a lot of other ones that we talked about is child mortality these women can't afford to have this baby they have to go back to the factory they have to go back to work so they would pay a fee to these baby farmers kind of like it made them feel better like i did the right thing this woman is going to find a home and take care of my baby you know you're as opposed to day baby dying, you feel like you did the right thing. And, you know, some baby farmers generally did care for their children, but many were really motivated for profit and would completely neglect or mistreat the infants once yeah, they just, got them. Or once they got the money, would just kill the baby. He said in, infanticide like increased a lot. There was uh, Amelia Dyer. Dyer. Dyer was in yeah. yeah, we should do she's it. The one, on. She's the one that basically did it for 30 she years. Them. She would just kill yeah. them. She would strangle them pretty much with tape constantly. So she's Amelia Dyer's basically she was uh, lived in between 1837 and 1896. So literally like boom in the Victorian era. She was a British serial killer of babies. Yeah, um, she said she probably killed hundreds of babies because at one point she was taking in six babies a day. Isn't that insane? She was sentenced killing. to prison in 1879. The first time she got really locked up. She was released after just 6 months. And then after her release, she continues to do baby farming, this whole operation. But takes a darker turn because that's where she starts deliberately really murdering the infants in her care. Strangulation, poisoning, tape, all kinds of things. So then she's re-arrested in 96 after it's discovered that she's, she's a serial killer. And um, she winds up uh, being convicted of murder and hanged. Well, the one that I saw, like when you think of Victorian air, you probably think of the um, gaslights. Yes, right. Yes, you yes. heard that. You heard that term, right? Gaslighting. I'm, I'm not fully sure what it means, but I, obviously, you think of Victoria. You hear like the. You don't know what gaslighting means. Even I know that one. Yeah, it's yeah. when someone makes you think you're doing something wrong when you know you're not doing something yeah. wrong. Yeah, Someone's just like, messing. Yeah, messing. Yeah, yeah. With you. No, I yeah, know what it means. All right, <laughs> moving on. But what they saw is you have a lot of these. It's a huge advancement from like a candle. Right? You have these gaslight fixtures, and they really allowed people to stay up later. But they're also really dangerous because you're having gas lines going to homes and what you're seeing too is a lot of competition during this time between different of these upstart gas lines and these companies so a lot of them are actually sabotaging the other ones they look this one isn't working right but the problem is they're sabotaging the gas lines themselves which is pumping gas into these houses a lot of people get sick or die from gas poisonings plus there's also a lot of fires and explosions especially when during this time, people had really elaborate curtains and stuff like that covering the windows that they would put. So they have like these curtains right by an open gas flame. The curtain catches fire and then pretty much the whole house goes up. And this happened a lot more than you would think during this time. And it, they, they think this gave a rise to a lot of the ghost stories in spiritism because people would be having these hallucinations from all the gas furnaces and stuff like that. I think that, you know, with, with pretty much every episode that we record there's always so much more to this and yeah, absolutely, we could absolutely. really really get into a lot of God other crazy forever. yeah messed up weird things by the victorian area but i think that this was definitely a good start to get you guys interested in some of the messed up victorian era you know aspects of the victorian era and maybe sometime in the future we could do some other uh you know weird aspects of different eras uh, maybe that could be an, a podcast somewhere down the line but absolutely. until then 
right? Thank you so much, guys, for tuning in. We do appreciate it. Uh, if you need to find us, you can find us at www.historyteacherstalkingpodcast.com. Please feel free to leave us a review only if you like this podcast. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, make sure you guys click that subscribe, like button on, on social media, wherever you find us. We do appreciate that. So thank you so much. And we'll see you guys again next week. Stay safe, everybody. I hope everyone enjoyed our podcast, and if you would like to email us, you can do so at historyteacherspodcast at gmail.com. Hello, everyone. My name is Tom Kearns, and I host the Anglo-Saxon England podcast, where I cover the history and culture of England from the departure of the Romans in the 5th century to the Norman Conquest in 1066. So far, we've surveyed the collapse of Roman rule in Britain, the migration of the Anglo-Saxons, and the history of Northumbria from its beginnings in the mists of legend to its destruction at the hands of Viking raiders in the 9th century. I hope you'll come and give it a go.